what the point of having genealogies in the Bible is. Some people, they think, well, why put genealogies in the Bible? The New Testament actually starts with the genealogy. And so I want to talk with you about how you can preach or study from Matthew's genealogy. Ancient biographies, which is what the Gospels were, often began by praising their subject's ancestors when the ancestors were significant, or by praising their subject's upbringing, or by recounting significant episodes about the subject's birth or childhood that portend later greatness. Well, Matthew and Luke in their Gospels include all of these. Ancients usually kept good track of their ancestors, so a lot of them had genealogies. Ancestry, ancestry seven generations back could affect your taxation status in ancient Egypt. So those who had really significant ancestries in particular would keep track of their ancestries. Priests would do that. Somebody descended from the royal line, which obviously would include the Messiah. Um, and and we, we do have other sources that suggest that Jesus' relatives uh, were descended from the royal line. They were hailed before a Roman emperor because of that. Well, Matthew uses gene the genealogy of Jesus to teach us several things. We get, first of all, Jesus' official lineage. That is, it's his royal lineage through Joseph. That was more important than a genetic lineage in terms of who would be king. And adoption was regularly used for kings. So it's very important that Matthew shows us if Jesus is king of the Jews, Jesus is descended from the royal house of David. But Matthew also teaches us something about Jesus' spiritual heritage at points through this genealogy, as Jewish teachers sometimes did. Rabbis often used what we call midrashic word plays on things in scripture. <clears throat> so for example, if you're reading Matthew chapter 1 in Greek, you come across the king Amon, who wasn't really a very nice king. He reigned for about two years. Um, but <clears throat> Amon is not really called Amon in the Greek text of Matthew. There's one letter difference, and translators often think, well, he just meant Amon. It's just a typo. But actually, literally, it's Amos. So that by that one little change of letter, he's alluding to how Jesus is heir not only of the royal line of David, but Jesus is also the heir of the prophets. And Asa, who was a kind of a so-so king in chapter 1 and verse 8, becomes Asaph, the psalmist. Jesus is the climax of all of the Old Testament. Now, if you look at the function of the genealogy, biblical genealogies sometimes summarized history between eras. You have that in Genesis 5 and 10 and 11. Um, also, they could be reminders of God's sovereignty. Jewish teachers would look at them and say, hey, look, arranging marriages is harder than the parting of the Red Sea. Certainly when I was single, I thought that. But the most significant point here is that the time has come. Genealogies often skipped some generations. You can see that by comparing Matthew with Second Chronicles. Matthew kind of rounds to the schematic 14, but, but the point is that it was about time for something significant to happen again in Israel's history. Significant things had happened at various intervals. And now Israel was due for another one. And that's part of Matthew's point. Well, going by how God had worked in history, it's time for that to happen again. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Matthew opens his gospel 
by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus, but literally in Greek, it's the book of the Genesis of Jesus. It's evoking the wording that you find in the Greek translation of Genesis, where it would often say the book of the genealogy or the book of the Genesis of so-and-so. But when you have that phrase in Genesis, it records not the person's ancestors, but their descendants. In this case, it records the ancestors because like the descendants in the other genealogies, even Jesus' ancestors depend on him for their meaning and God's purpose. He climaxes Israel's history. 1.1 one, one says he's the son of Abraham, the true Israelite. Uh, and you see that developed in subsequent chapters where he evokes Israel's history. He's also the son of David. That is, he's the expected Messiah. We, we have him referred to as son of David in Psalms of Solomon and some other ancient Jewish texts. Ancient genealogies often listed only males. And if they were in, going to include women, it would be the most significant women. So you would expect if there were women mentioned here in the ancestry, it could be the, the famous matriarchs like Sarah and Rebecca and then either Rachel or Leah. But instead, we have Matthew including Tamar from Genesis 38, Rahab from Joshua chapters 2 and 6, Ruth and her that had been the wife of Uriah, Uriah's widow. And if you look at what they have in common, Tamar was from Canaan. Ruth, of course, was, was a Moabitess. Um, Deuteronomy 23.3 says an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the Lord's congregation of the tenth generation. But she was welcome because she cleaved to the Lord God, Ruth 1.16. Rahab, obviously, was from Canaan. She was from, from Jericho. She's contrasted with somebody from Judah by the name of Achan in that passage who betrayed his people and brought judgment in his household. Well, well, Rahab betrayed her people, joined Israel, and brought salvation to her household. Bathsheba was married to a Hittite who had joined David's elite troops. So these women, are three of them are Gentiles. One of them is, is uh, married to a Gentile. She's associated with Gentiles. Three ancestors of David and the mother of King Solomon here are Gentiles. Well, this was exceptional because most ancient Jew Jewish genealogies wanted to highlight the purity of one's Jewish ancestry. This genealogy instead highlights the mixed nature of Jesus' royal heritage. Three Gentiles and a Gentile's widow. And this is the beginning of a theme in Matthew's Gospel that goes on with the Magi, the centurion's servant, the um, Canaanite woman with the, with the possessed daughter, and so on, that finally climaxes at the end of the Gospel with the mission to make disciples of all the nations. That's no afterthought. It's, it's a continuation of something that God had already begun in Israel's heritage. So there are a number of themes that we see coming out in this genealogy that prepare us for the rest of Matthew's Gospel. Genealogies can be very important. And Matthew's genealogy is one example of this.